morning, everybody. My name is Pastor Derek, and I just want to welcome you to Connect. So glad you could be with us this morning. Uh, everybody have a good time so far? Yeah. It's great to be in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Um, before I get started, I'm going to unpack the series a little bit and keep going, but I do want to give um, those of you that consider this like, you know, your spiritual family or you're a frequent flyer, or maybe you're just, uh, you know, kind of on the fringe still checking us out. That's all cool. Just want to give a little feedback on Easter. Everybody have a good Easter? What's up, Chris? Shout out. I love seeing you here. Um, it's, it was an awesome Easter. Um, let me say before I give you some facts and figures is um, I was talking to some of my staff and, 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 and with this kind of social media injected culture that we're in, uh, you can just, you know, you know, see something on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, whatever, and um, all the stuff that's happening in other places, and there can be just this tendency to compare, and comparison sometimes uh, kills the dynamic that God has for you. If this can happen in relationships, this can happen in organizations. In other words, you can look at your circumstances, and you can compare to somebody else, and you think, oh, the grass is greener on the other side, you know, I wish... You know, I want to be, I want to be like Mike, you know, someone's sickness, you know, it's it, comparison. Does anybody know what I'm talking about out there? Yeah. It, it, it sometimes can kill the dynamic that God has for you. And so sometimes it happens with churches. So we compare ourselves to other churches and, it, and we don't get the blessing that God has for our church and what's happening here at home. And I want you to know that great things are happening at our church. And before I give you some of the numbers, I also want to say that um, no matter what the numbers are, if there's healthy things should grow, healthy things grow. When something healthy didn't grow, Jesus was like, you know, cut that down. So it's, it should grow. So, so God is into numbers. In fact, he's got a whole book called Numbers. <laughs> Come on, somebody. High five. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what you say. That's funny. You know, God is interested in numbers. I, I, and, and everyone matters. So no matter what the number is, a soul matters to God. It's priceless, you know. And I don't say, oh, I have four kids or that would, that's the appropriate answer because how many kids I have, I don't, a bad answer would be, I don't know, how many kids you have? I don't know, somewhere between one and four. You know what I mean? That's, what if we were like that? With, so with churches, it should matter. Does that make sense? It should matter. So when I say what I'm going to say, I'm just, I'm just trying to put that within a little bit of context. And we just decided not to play the game, post everything and all that stuff. And I'm not against that. I'm not saying they're bad and all that. It's not what I'm saying. But anyway... Last, we got current numbers as of today. Last week, Easter, we had 1,312 people in church on Sunday. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. 374 kids. People love God and they love each other. Apparently, apparently, that was pretty cool. So we had some real wins on a whole bunch of other levels that you may not care about, but, you know, just cool stuff. Third service was crazy, or I like to say hashtag stupid. It was just, we were overflow central. We weren't ready for what happened. That was nuts. I think it was like 516 people in the third service. So we, were, we only have 400 chairs. So that's awesome. <laughs> we were stacking people, you know what I mean? Can we have your seat and add another one? Um, so that was fun. But the coolest part, and before I say this, is the Bible says in Luke 15 that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to Christ. In fact, the context of Luke 15, it says they throw a party. So when I say what I'm getting ready to say, you should be way more excited than you were on the first part of what I had to say, okay? So last Sunday in the upstairs, the adult services, we had 39 decisions for Christ on Easter. 39. Is that awesome? Come on. Come on. We made a decision of faith. 
experience the first cup. Listen to this. In Kids World, downstairs, Connect Kids, just in Biggs, because this is really the area that we can do that because of their age, uh, ages uh, first grade through fifth grade. We call it Biggs. It's the lower auditorium for the rest of us that use this at other times. But they had between rededication, so we know some of these people have heard, some of the kids have heard the gospel before, but every first-time guest that came in, child, received Christ. But they had 63 decisions for Christ on Easter. 63. Amen. So that's totally stinking sweet awesome. That's all I'm saying, all right? So, all right, now, another thing from last week that I took away, so this is, this is really important, really, really important, is that I understand that everybody liked the church signs that I showed everybody. Did anybody remember the church signs, right? Did everybody like those? I got all this feedback, everybody liked those. So I'm going to bring some more today, okay? So I want to show you some of the church signs, and this particular segment of the service, it's funny because it's kind of a battle between two churches, all right? And they apparently, they're right across the street from each other. And so this is a battle between a Catholic church and a Presbyterian church over the subject of heaven. So I thought you might find this interesting, all right? So here's the first sign, all right? From the Catholic church, all dogs go to heaven. That's their sign. So the Presbyterians say, only humans go to heaven. Read your Bibles. So the Catholics said, God loves all his creatures or creations, dogs included. (laughs) So the Presbyterians turn around and say, dogs don't have souls. This is not open for debate. (laughs) Imagine driving by this every single day, right? This is going on. Like, this is entertaining. You know what I mean? So the Catholics say, excuse me, the, the Presbyterians say, Oh, it's a Catholic dogs go to heaven. Presbyterian dogs can talk to their pastor. That is awesome. So the Presbyterians say, converting to Catholicism does not magically grant your dog a soul. And it's just getting obnoxious here, all right? I mean, there's going to be eggs thrown soon. So the Catholics say, free dog souls with conversion. Just lead them to Christ. You can do it. Train them. So the Presbyterians say, dogs are animals. There aren't any rocks in heaven either. So now they're just getting mad. So I love this about our Catholic friends. Look what they say. All rocks go to heaven. (laughs) It's awesome. It's like, in your face is the husband. Oh... All right, anyway, let's get into our uh, worship guides. Uh, you can follow along on YouVersion as well. We have the worship guide inside this free Bible app that you can download. It's called YouVersion. You can go in there. You can tap live event, put our zip code in or our church name, and our whole worship guide pulls up on there. And you can email yourself and take notes and cool stuff. By the way, I want to just plug two books real quick. This series is based on uh, uh, Pastor Chris Hodges is one of my overseers and pastor in my life from Church of the Highlands in Birmingham. So if you guys are interested in this book, it's phenomenal. Uh, a lot of the precepts and principles from this series are from that. also want to plug another book. This is called 10 Steps Towards Christ by Jimmy Evans. We're actually going to do a small group on this in the next semester. So some of the series that I'm talking about right now, uh, some of the practicality of Christian living, particularly the second cup, is all stuff that you will learn through this particular book. Pastor Christoph, would you stand up real quick, give him a big wave? He'll probably I would be leading that group next semester, and so I just want you guys to know about that, okay? So yeah, there you go. Um, 
Let's, let's just kind of catch you up. This is called Four Cups. It's over six weeks, and that's weird. And so I'm going to try to make sense out of that. The first two weeks, um, I'll talk about that in a second. But this series, Four Cups, is based on um, the, the Passover. Uh, you might know it as the Lord's Supper or communion. They're really kind of all the same thing, but they change with the arrival of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 22, you're going to see this word pop up multiple times, and it kind of confused me for a while until I understood the Jewish tradition, kind of the, the, uh, the, the Hebraic practice of Passover included actually multiple cups in the Seder Supper, or in this progressive meal, in this, this celebration. There, the celebration Passover was much like our 4th of July. It was like a freedom celebration, uh, living in freedom celebration. And during this meal, they would raise a cup, uh, and each time they raised the cup, they would, they would declare one of these promises of God. These promises are known as the four I wills. And they're taken from these promises from Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And these promises were given to God's people 3,500 years ago. And these promises that were for them are actually for us today. They are unconditional, they are eternal, and they are relevant to us today. In fact, they're even more relevant to us today because the promises that were there all those years ago could not be fulfilled or you couldn't live them out. In fact, if you study or watch the people of Israel, God's chosen people, you can see that they struggled. They couldn't quite get it. And it and um, or until Jesus' arrival. So Jesus actually, in Luke 22, he has Passover with his disciples known as the Last Supper, and while he's there, he basically does a, just, he just unpacks something really, really powerful. They don't really get it, and then he basically lets them know, hey, all this sacrificing you did before to celebrate what uh, God did through his people, uh, the grand exodus from Egypt, and the, the, the miraculous intervention of God with the angel of death passing over your homes, and the blood being on the doorpost, all that kind of stuff, that all is no longer going to have to take place that way. You're not going to have to bring a lamb and sacrifice a lamb anymore. Now I'm the last lamb. I'm the lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Everything that you've done can and will be fulfilled in me. All of these promises that I unpacked for you, they're all tied and connected to relationship with me. So as you go forward from this point forward, whenever you celebrate this meal, whenever you have this communion experience, participate and fellowship with me. The Greek word is koinonia. We actually are going to connect with God in that communion experience, and in that connection, we are, we're actually able, and through relationship, able to fulfill these promises in our life. Pastor, that was a lot you said in a short period of time. Yes, and I'll try to like unpack it even more as we go forward, but this is kind of just review. So week one, we talked about the first kind of I will, and it, this, and we, no, excuse me, we talked about the first uh, principle or the promises of God. Promises are these guarantees that God gives us. They are unconditional, but they also have certain conditions on them. And for us to have these principles work in our life, we have to know them. We have to know the promises of God, and we have to pursue them. So that was kind of week one. Who was here for week one on the promises of God? A lot of you. If you didn't get that, it'll, it'll just... You know, it'll put a little zip in your day. It'll be like double caffeinated, you know, feelings after that because it'll help you a lot. And then the second week of the series, we talked about Passover. A lot more than what I just said a few minutes ago. I would say for me this year, that service was the most powerful service we had in the, of the year, maybe. 
although under the influence blew my mind, but, but, but that particular day was just where you got a real uh, vivid depiction of what Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago and how it relates to you and me today, the debt that he paid for me. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe. I needed someone to take my sins away. That's what Jesus did for me. And so that's Passover was looking back at what Jesus did for us. But again, it was also a realization that he was the last lamb and that he fulfilled everything through his sacrifice. And then last week, Easter was, was awesome, but we talked about the first cup. So first two messages were teeing up these four cups. The first uh, cup we talked about last week, and it's known as the cup of sanctification. And this is where we kind of talked about what really salvation is all about. Sanctification, salvation. Salvation is kind of like the modern translation of this particular word. And again, this was all located in Exodus 6. So let's read that real quick, and then we'll get going a little bit faster than even now. Exodus 6 says this, and this is, by the way, God spoke to Moses, and he said, go speak to my people. And it says, therefore, say to the Israelites... I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So there's the first I will. This is the first promise. Every time they would read this in the Passover experience, they would raise a cup, and they would drink from that cup. That was known as the first I will. The second I will, I will free you from being slaves to them. They would raise the cup, and they would say that, and they would drink from the cup. Then the third I will, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And the fourth cup, by the fourth cup, how many know everybody's praising God at this particular point when you're drinking from the fourth cup? I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, and then you'll know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So each cup is significant. The first cup is, is, is again, it's about getting people out of Egypt. When you look at the Old Testament, this is, this is everywhere for a believer. You should always look at the Old Testament through the lens of the new. You're going to understand things better when you're looking backwards upon it. So Israel was God's people. They weren't supposed to be slaves. They needed to get out of slavery. They needed to get out of Egypt. And so the salvation, this first cup, does not require you to change your behavior. It doesn't require training or anything like that. It's basically a change of destiny, a change of location. Ultimately, because of uh, their association, they, were, they, they had a different destiny. It's similar for us as Christians. We don't have to get um, uh, necessarily out of Egypt, but we do have to get this sinful nature out of us. We have a different, uh, we're separated from God because of our sin. We have a different destination because of that, an eternal separation. So Jesus, like Moses, came to save us from that destiny. It's like a get out of jail free card, okay? So it's like as if Israel was in jail and they were delivered from jail, okay? But the second cup, the second cup, which is known as the cup of deliverance, and whenever you say the word deliverance, people freak out. They think, you know, and weird people and demonic activity and stuff like that. But it's really about not just getting out of Egypt or changing our location or our destiny. It's about getting Egypt out of us, the world out of us, the heart of slavery out of us. Yes, we're out of jail, but now we got to get the jailbird out of us. Now, some of you, if anybody's ever done any time, don't raise your hand, but if anybody's ever done any time or knows anybody <laughs> done any time, if you've ever been, it's okay. I mean, I love our church because we have all kinds of that stuff in here, really, honestly. But, but people who've been incarcerated, this is a statistical fact, that if you've been incarcerated for more than three years and you come out, 
50% of those people who are incarcerated in jail go right back to jail because they don't know how to live in the real world. So it's the same way for us as Christ followers. Jesus gets us out of Egypt, but now we, we still have these attitudes and habits and behaviors, and we don't know how to live the Christian life, and so we have to deal with the heart of slavery. This, that's the second cup, the cup of deliverance. That's the cup we're going to talk about in, a, as a, as in its entirety today, today's topic. So deliverance is about personal freedom. The Bible says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That means you need to be not just free from Egypt, but you need to get the Egypt out of you, and you're free from those bondages. You're free from those natural inclinations to sin, those propensities to do the wrong thing. Does that make sense? All right. So then the third cup, which we'll talk about next week, a whole message on this. Can't wait. Can't wait. So excited. Uh, could sing a song there, but I won't. But the cup of redemption. Okay. So this is, again, third eye will. This word, modern translation would be restoration. Restoration. And this is the, this is the tragedy of this particular cup. Most people, most people don't get to this cup. Never mind the fourth cup. We don't even get to the third cup. 87% of Christians in America never get to the place where they realize, why am I here? Was I here to just, as I always say, you know, take up space, abuse God's grace, suck air? Or was there more than that? And I'm telling you, there's more. That's why I'm so excited about what I do, because when I see what the Bible says, I know there's more than what you're currently experiencing. Christianity isn't just go to church you know, sit in the pew, listen to some guy, you know, tell you what to do. No, it's, it's not just, you know, worship at church and then worship at home. There's way, way, way more. It's about making a difference on the earth and figuring out what you were created to do, what you were designed to do. You're, you're, you, you have a design, and your design is connected to your destiny, but most people don't know what that is. And so I think the church should be uh, created to help people figure out what that is. This, the last service I prayed with a lady because she didn't know why she was here, what she was created to do. And she's struggling with depression. Depression and purposelessness are connected. They're connected. Most people are struggling for, not because of some kind of chemical imbalance. I'm not saying that's not a real reality. I'm just saying most of the time it's because of depression. And then it becomes a chemical imbalance, and then we get all messed up. Hmm... It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good stuff. So redeem means to restore back to your original intent. It's like, you ever seen Pimp My Ride, the show? What? I watched that show. That show's awesome. So they have all these old cars. They're all messed up and jacked up. And then somebody, a master, a maestro, gets his hands on that, has the resources to be able to restore it back to its original uh, uh, design. That's so you get some new upholstery, we, we bling it out with some new rims, check out the rims. It's all about the rims, right fellas? And, and, and then you get, you, know, you get a nice you know, boombox, whatever, just a system in there that's just kicking it. And, and all of a sudden you look at this car and you're like, oh my gosh, look at this thing. But it's still the same car, it's just been restored. So Israel was never supposed to be a slave. They were never supposed to be a people of slavery. They were supposed to be free, but free to do something amazing on the earth, do something great. Does that make sense? So then the fourth cup, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. The fourth cup is known as the cup of praise. And, and, and this is kind of the, this, is, this, this one, even less people get to this place. Even less people. And this, the modern translation is fulfillment. Fulfillment. This isn't happy. This doesn't mean we don't have problems. If you're living in the fourth cup, it's not like, you walk through the rain and all the rain misses you. You know what I mean? No. 
or you know how to tiptoe around it all and miss it all. That's not what fulfillment is talking about. It's not circumstantial happiness. It's like significance. Like, I know what I'm, it, people are not tired because they're busy. They're tired because they're not doing things that matter. So people are doing something that matters and make a difference, and they're fulfilled in doing so. So the fourth cup is all about a people, connecting with people. The first three cups are you, 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 you. I will, you know, I will set you free from the, I will, I will bring you out. I will redeem you. But the fourth one is I will take you as my own people. So now it's not about a person. Now it's about connecting you to a people, getting you on a team, getting you to be a part of something bigger than yourselves. And, and, and I am convinced that scores of people are rejected something they've never experienced and they go to church and church doesn't do what God tells them to do and they have a bad experience and so they check out on the fourth cup altogether you have no idea how much I just said inside of that, but, but that's what a lot, a lot of people have had bad experiences in church and so the best they're going to do is sit in the pew and look at you Instead of get off their hands, use their, find out what their gifts are, deploy those and release those, connect those with a group and do something amazing that's way beyond the four walls of this church. Oh. Oh. That's what's supposed to happen. Okay. See ya later. So I can't wait to talk about that. That's in two weeks. If you don't want to miss that, because I'll probably be running up and down the aisles in that one. All right. Rolling over front flips I haven't done in 20 years, things like that. But bottom line is God wants to take you on a spiritual journey. And whether you realize it or not, you're on one. You're in one of these cups. You're in one of these four I wills. You're on this path, whether you believe it or not, you were created to move. Move. Turn your name and say, move. Move, you know? I got music going through my head. I like to move it, move it. If I had time, I would do a segment and make everybody get up. I really would. I really would. So, next week, I want that song ready. Cued, ready, okay? So, every one of you is on this journey, and God's purpose and success is when he takes you from where you are to where you need to be. Not necessarily where you want to be, because if I looked at what he was taking me, I might say no, but if I look back once he took me there, I'd be yes. So, it's, it's again... It's just, we're on a journey, and I think our job is to take you on a tour. The church should just be like guiding you, not controlling you, not manipulating you, not saying, help me. It should be, what has God called you to do? Let's figure out what that is. Let's, let's do that. Let's do that. That's, how, that's what we're supposed to do as a church, a mind for that. And so the expressions and gifts and the, and the, and the outlets that are in the body, that's going to determine the ministries we have as a church, not me. So that's what's supposed to happen. Anyway, let's talk about the distinction, though, between the first cup and the second cup before we get into the second cup a little bit more. I think it's critical for you guys to know that some people, maybe even you, I'm talking to church folk mostly right now here, might have an issue with the doctrine of salvation. So I want to kind of eliminate something, uh, try to at least, for some of you that are out there. Some people are critical of this this doctrine of salvation. Sometimes people say it, it's happened here, it's happened outside of here, about our church, for example. They say things like, with all those people that are, you know, getting saved to connect, you know, they must really be watering down the message. They must be really watering down, diluting the gospel over there. There's no way that many people can give their hearts to Christ. That's the kind of stuff that, that, that's been said different times. Last 2014, we had 474 decisions for Christ last, last year. 
It's a soul-winning church. The question is, are we going to discount that and say that's not real? I say, no way, Jose, and here's why, okay? Because I want to assure you that salvation is actually that easy. And God is intentionally trying to do something that none of us should mix up with us. What I mean by that is, it's, it's so that if we try to take any kind of credit for our salvation, we mess it all up. We mess it up, that mixture. God never wanted you and I involved in saving ourselves. None of us could get ourselves out of jail. The debt was so big. The price tag was so big. There's no way we could have paid that. So for us to be involved is impossible. It required a sinless sacrifice. Blemishless, perfect Lamb of God. The only one that could do that. Nobody measured up. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin was death, but the gift which is free is Jesus Christ. There's only, it's a gift. And so God gives you a gift, and think about Christmas, and you got a gift, and it's underneath the Christmas tree, and you like that. The gift is priceless, salvation. But it's worthless if you don't open it. But it's worthless if you don't open it. Okay? So God never wanted you and I involved in the salvation process. And before we get talking about the Egypt and me, let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. In your notes, everybody following? It says, God saved you by his grace. Grace, that's not just a pretty girl's name, something you say before you eat your meal. Grace, grace is what salvation is all about. It sounds so simple because here's what's required. God saved you by his grace when you what? Believed. Everybody say believed. Believed. You don't have to change. It doesn't say that. You don't have to dot I's and cross T's and do up and downs and turnarounds and peace with you and peace also with you and go to church every single week and check rosters and all that kind of stuff. I know there's one guy in our church, he's one of our leaders, uh, you know, he didn't miss a day at church for like, I don't know, where, I don't know where Glenn is, it was like 30 something years. So his church told him, that's what saved you. Then he came to connect and my father showed him the Bible and said, nah, this is what it says. That didn't do it. You have to have grace and you believe what Jesus did for you. He died a sinless, he lived a sinless life. He died for you to pay for your sins. He rose on the third day so that when you felt, when you were dead inside, you could be alive and live that life to the full from this point forward. Do you want that? Yes. Do you believe in that? Yes. Now you're saved. Everything else didn't matter. In fact, it's all filthy rags according to the scriptures. There's another translation of what that means you can dig into on your own. Doesn't matter all that stuff. Works won't save you. You were not saved by them. You were saved for them, for them, amen? So we're saved for good works. We can't mix the two. It's an offense, think about it, to God. The Bible says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. You know what that means? It means he gave his one and only begotten son, John three sixteen. Who Anybody want to give their son for people? Sinless, perfect, there's no, no one righteous, no, not one, save Jesus, gives his son to die for people who may or may not accept him. No guarantees. He didn't do it with a guarantee. He did it in faith. He sowed his son. Whew. But he knew he'd reap a great harvest if he did so. And then the son gave his life willingly. Okay, I'll do that. That's incredible. So for us to try to do anything to pay for our salvation is an offense to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the father who gave his son. It's wrong. So anyway... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of worked up about that, but anyway. So what about works, though? What about works? So there is, there is grace, but there is also works. What does the Bible say about works? Let's look in your notes. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says this. This is the NLT. I, I know the other version by heart, but I'm going to do this one because it's kind of interesting how it's, how it's uh, unpacked. It says work hard. Everybody say work hard. Work 
So here come the works. Everybody get ready. Not to get saved, though. This is not talking about salvation. But to show the results of your salvation. You don't work hard to show that to get saved. You work hard to show that you have been saved. Okay? Then it goes on to say, uh, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. Now, I want you to understand something. So now we're leaving the first cup. You are saved by grace. That none of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You were saved by grace. Now we're out of Ephesians 10. Now we're in Philippians 2. Now that you've been saved, you're being saved, not salvation like eternal destiny, but the process of working that out. You're becoming changed. You're moving more and more into his likeness. This is the start of a process. I've said this before, but you're saved in a moment, in an instant. It's a momentary de decision that changes eternity for you Amen. here. But you, so you can be okay here, but you can, live on, you can have hell on earth here if you don't actually let what's happened now inside you be worked out here. So it's a process. It's a process. It's a momentary decision here. It's a lifetime down here. It's a journey. And we need to enjoy the journey and not be all just preoccupied with the destination. If we're just going to live preoccupied with the destination, you might as well pray, God, take me home tomorrow. I'm saved. Now take me home so I don't screw up. No, God wants you to do something on the planet. It's through the church that he wants to do something great, amen? So God's working in you. And, you, and, you don't, and so when you got saved, you didn't have to check a box. You didn't have to get baptized, any of that kind of stuff. It's a process. Now, here's, here's, this is cool. It says, giving you the desire, or you could say new desire. You didn't have this before. Before you got saved, you were led by your loins. You could not stop. You were like, you were no different than the monkeys and the penguins in a way. You were led by your, your loins. You were led by your appetites. You were led, you, you had no control. But now you have a new desire and it's accompanied by the power to do what pleases God, basically. What pleases him. And, and, and that's what this whole second cup is in a nutshell. It's, it's you receive Christ by faith, then you got to work hard now to have this, start this process to, to be changed from the inside out, and God, when you got saved, is going to give you new desires and the power to be able to do it, amen? But you still have to do something. You have to do something. And the something is kind of summarized in uh, the way God made us. We are a triune being. We mirror or mimic the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God created us, Genesis 2-7, in his image, we have a spirit, a mind, and a body. Our spirit, prior to salvation, is, is, is offline. It's like, it's like the old ovens. The pilot light is not on. It's there, but it's not on. We are, we are offline. When we accept Jesus into our heart, boom, that spirit comes alive. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That spirit is new. That spirit is is like God. That spirit is perfect. The spirit man is the part of us that is like God. God did that so that we could uh, gain jurisdiction over our triune being so that we could eventually be a king of the hill. Anybody ever played king of the hill when they were growing up? No? All the girls are like, what's king of the hill? Talk to your husbands after. They know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? So the people that won the game king of the hill were the people who were the strongest, and so what God wants to do is he wants to put you in a position. He's setting you up so that you can have your spirit leading your triune being. But before that, you didn't have the ability to be led by your spirit. Jesus had to empower you to do so. Does that make sense, everybody, what I'm saying out there? So before that, and what happens a lot of times 
as a believer and also as a pre-believer is we have a body, a physical side of us. This is the part of us that's filled with wants and desires. I want what I want, when I want it, and I want it now. Appetites, lusts of the flesh, cravings, different things like that. And if it just feels good to be led by our, our senses, if we're led by this part of us, we will be destroyed. There are many people that are led by their bodies. There are also many people that are led by their soul. When I say soul, I'm not talking about all-encompassing spirit, mind, and body. I'm talking about your mind, okay? And this is the will and the feelings and the emotions. And many people in our triumvirate being are led by our soul or by our minds. Like whatever we think. Feelings, whoa, whoa. I got to do it once in a while. Once in a while. Feelings. Anyway. I could do more than a feeling by Boston, but I won't. So the point is, if we're led by our feelings, we will be destroyed by our feelings. There are many people who are led by their emotions. They're led by their thoughts. What is guiding and directing those thoughts? We have a will that sits on the seat of our emotions and our feelings, but who controls the will? What is that will submitted to? Is it submitted to self, or is it submitted to a savior? And when you get saved... You are submitting to a savior. So now the savior's on the seat of your emotions, of your feelings, of your thoughts. Now you have the power given to you by the Holy Spirit to train those portions of your mind, your feelings, your emotions. Does that make sense to everybody out there? Otherwise, it will just lead us astray. Your feelings will tell you, I'm depressed, I'm going to kill myself. That's the furthest extreme. So I'm giving you the extremes. That's what happens. People who are suicidal have let the that part of their trying being destroy them or attempt to destroy them. I'm over here. I'm being led by my body. You know what I mean? I'm just going to eat till I, till I die, kill myself. I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. I don't care that I feel guilty. That's the person that's being led or directed by that part of their trying being. But God wants us to have our spirit nourished and strong. Which part of us is going to be strongest is going to be determined by what we feed the most. What we feed the most. My dad taught me this story years ago about the two twin huskies pulling the sled. You've seen them before. Beautiful. They come up, and the guy says to the, the owner of the dog, says, which one of the huskies is the strongest? He said, whichever one I feed the most. And so you have a sinful uh, nature that wants what it wants. It's being led by the body and by the, the mind. And then you have a godly nature that's being led. Whichever one is going to be strongest and win those wars, and we'll talk about this in a second, is going to be the one that you feed the most. But we all are in this process theologically called regeneration. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says we're being transformed, not informed, Information will not change you. Transformation is what God wants. Into his likeness with ever-increasing glory means it keeps on happening little by little by little. We become more and more like him if we surrender to the process of the second cup as I'm unpacking. So, but there's three areas that we have to overcome because we're carrying with us as Christ followers, even as believers... Because we got that part free, but the, the other parts are going to be work. So as believers, we can still have baggage. And you see this. And so people are carrying baggage from their bodies. Some people are carrying baggage from their soul, their, their, all this stuff that's going on up in here. You know, have issues. We all have issues, right? If I need to go down this road, we know where we're headed. We all have issues, right? And so we're carrying that, and it's bogging us down. And eventually, I would submit to you, many of us aren't taking any more steps. We're just stuck. 
We're stuck in cup two. So what do we need area of victories in? We need number one, victories over sin. Sin. Sin is what you did to yourself. Nobody did it to you. You did it to yourself. You didn't need a devil to do this to you. you didn't, there was no tragedy or anything like that. You, it's just your bad choices, unhealthy choices. And we have these things that we know we do. Now, this, these, the sin in the second cup is not going to keep us from salvation or eternity with God, but it's affecting our ability to live in this life. However, I will say the Bible says in 1 John, I think it's, Five or three, I can't remember, but it says, I think it's five. It says, those that are born of God will not continue to sin. It's talking about progressive sin. It's talking about committed sin. It's not talking about one-time sin. It's just talking about willful, intentional, ongoing sin. So basically, when you, if you really got it right in the first place, you should, it's not going to say you'll never sin. It's just going to mean you're going to progressively stop sinning. Amen. Did you get what I said? So, so I'm going to liken this to myself. I don't, I, don't, I don't avoid all sin, but I sin less because I'm living out what we're talking about. To the extent that I don't, then I go back the other way. So I head in the other direction. Okay? Make sense? So sin is simply wrong choices we make based on ingrained beliefs, attitudes, habits, and behaviors, etc. A lot of times it can be, I could talk about all these things, but addictions. When everybody talks about addictions, we always, many people in the church dismiss themselves because we think of all the big ticket items of addictions. We think about uh, drinking and alcohol and illicit sex and those kind of things. And we, we say, you know, at least I'm not that person. I don't do that. But addiction to anything, an addiction is anything we don't want to do but we can't stop doing. I'll say it again. An addiction is anything we don't want to do but we can't stop doing. So you say, oh, well, you know, at least I don't do crack. Yeah, but you're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 10 hours a day. You're a crackhead. You, you. Addictions are just for, you know, just recovery groups. No, addictions are anything that is altering your life adversely. And we often excuse behaviors. Oh, I'm just a sports freak. I'm just a fashion, fashionista. You know what I mean? I'm just a workaholic. No, you're an addict. You're an addict. And you're out of balance. And it's keeping you in the second cup so you can't go to the third cup and all the great things that God has for you. And what's cool about this, and so there's no condemnation, is a great man of God who we all love and admire, the Apostle Paul, was a guy just like that. Look at Romans 7. It says this, the Apostle Paul. I call him a super Christian. He still has to approach God just like you and me and all that sort of things, but he just did so much. That's why I think he's amazing. So it says this, Paul speaking. So I find this law at work. Notice, again, that he's struggling just like us. Although I want to do good, that's the spirit part of me, evil is right there with me. So right when I'm wanting to do good, look what's right beside me. It's like the angels, you know, good angel, bad angel kind of thing. I'm not saying I believe in that, but I'm just saying that's a good picture. The body and soul are over here, the bad side, trying to dominate it, influence me adversely. But I see another walk, another war or at work in me or law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner, interesting word, of the law of sin at work within me. So the natural man is, is, is got too much influence. Then he's, so he, he's looking at himself, let's just say in the mirror, and he's got a spirit man that he, that's in right standing with God, but he's got this natural man over here, and he looks in the mirror and he says, what a wretched man I am. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like that about yourself? You love God, but you're doing things that you hate. That's what, that's what Paul's describing here is this war. If he had it, you know, you and I can feel better knowing that we weren't the only ones that had this problem. Then he says, who will rescue me from this body? How do I do that? That's subject to death. He says, thanks be to God. Who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord? So the deliverance 
is a part of this process of change and transformation on our journey of faith. So we got to overcome sin. The second thing is we need healing from wounds. 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 This isn't what you did to you. This is what others did to you. It, it wasn't your fault. These are things that happened to you. Childhood abuses, harsh words, critical you know, words spoken over you, judgment, betrayal from somebody else, rejection, abandonment. This, this leaves you feeling, and I did a whole message on this in the first of the year, beaten and bruised. Beaten and bruised. And if you want some more on that, just look in the Under the Influence series. If this resonates with you, you need more than what I'm giving you this morning to help you. But if you don't deal with your past wounds, you'll never get to the next cup. Or, or the Holy Spirit gave me this last night. A lot of times, churches do this. We blast people right through the second cup into the third and fourth cup. They burn out and burn others. And, and I want to formally repent as the pastor of this church. If any way in the past, we have pushed people too fast through the process only to get something out of them and to, instead of getting something through them. So, so that is not intentional. I just want to assure you of that. There's a balance. We can't stay in the second cup forever. And some of your freedom comes as you go forward. And we'll always be, in a way, in the deliverance phase of our life. So there, if you need more information on that, hopefully the Holy Spirit helped you understand what I just said. But we're, we're loving God, as it were, but there's cracks in the windows. There's issues. David Cho, a pastor of the biggest church in the world, had issues. He said, Lord, I pray every day, you know, that you help me with all these people because I hate so many people. <laughs> you know, we all have issues with people, and we all got to work these things out. So it could be that. Here's the third thing. Authority over the enemy. Authority over the enemy. This is an important point, and if you're new to church, uh, I'm not trying to blow your mind or overexpose you or anything like that, but I am trying to be a good pastor and a good shepherd and just reveal some stuff to you. But this isn't because of your, you're not where you are because of your sin. That's what the first part was. You're, this is not about wounds, what somebody else did to you. This is about an enemy of your soul that hates you. And he wants to thwart the plan of God for your life and do everything he can to do that. And so you don't have to believe it. I don't really care. That's what the Bible says. And I'm going, to do, I'm going to pray for you that you come to the revelation that there's an enemy that would like to try to stop and impede the progress of God in your life. But his, he's intent on destruction. And you and I, all of us, some of us who believe it, still need to learn how to confront your enemy. Let me give you an analogy quickly. But uh, we have many people that in the church that have been in law enforcement, so this, this analogy comes easy for me because of my relationships. But if you were in law enforcement, at some point you would go through the academy and then you'd get your badge. Say you're a police officer. Now that badge has with it or carries with it a certain authority. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like my, my youngest just got her permit. And, and so not too long ago we're driving and there was like a police officer behind us. And I just watched her kind of go, you know, like, I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, there's a, there's a, you know, have you ever been that way? Where like you get near a cop, like, dick, 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 dick. you haven't even done anything wrong. You feel like they're, they just, they know, they know. <laughs> Did I pay my insurance? Am I up to date? Have I cheated on my wife? You know, have I... I pay my bills. Like, I think they know. I think they know. It's like God is watching. You know what I mean? It's like delegated authority, and you just freak out, and you just start grabbing white knuckles the whole bit. So, but, so most, in most occasions in life, we carry an authority. We carry a badge, and that is sufficient with, with most day-to-day -day stuff. But every now and then, there's somebody that doesn't respect that badge. And when they confront that badge, what's a police officer supposed to do? Hey, 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 ho, ho, wait, ho, 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 ho. 
No, 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 no. They have to use the weapons that they've been given. And every now and then, they're going to have to pull that weapon out of the holster. Homie, step back, step back. <laughs> right? Don't, don't take another step. And so you need to know you have been given weapons, that you have an identity in Christ, but you also have an authority in Christ, and that authority once in a while has to be exercised against your enemy. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians 6. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Police officer can't go out without putting his belt on and his weapon with it so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So the devil's schemes, that's his, or wiles, it's his plots and plans and ploys to Again, to destroy you, to steal, to kill from you, to rob from you. So how do you stop those things? You're going to have to have weapons with you to stop those things. You have to know how to use them. So this is part of the discipleship process. Many of you don't even know what all the weapons are. You don't know the full armor of God that it talks about in Ephesians 6. You don't know how to pray it. You don't know how to use it. You don't know how to apply it. But I'm telling you, you're being beaten up, beaten up, beaten up. And some of it's because of your sin. Some of it's because of your wounds. And some of it's because the devil hates you. And this is the part where you go into training, where you begin to work out your salvation so that you can get out of the second cup and you can get in the third cup. Does that make sense? This will help you a lot. Sometimes you just got, you got to know the promises of God. Jesus knew God's word. You say, well, he was Jesus. Yeah, but he was man too. And he modeled for us how to live as men and women on the earth. And he said, it is written. It is written. Luke 10, 19, you know, he talked about, I've given you authority to trample on scorpions and serpents. That's not bugs, by the way. That's demons. And, and, and nothing by any means shall harm you. It tells us in Isaiah, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It tells us in 1 John that for this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the evil one who's up against you to try to stop you. But you got to know those things and become a student of those things. Amen? Amen. When the enemy comes at you a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him, Isaiah 59. I love the Word of God, but you got to hide it in your heart. And it's not just for pastors and professional Christians. It's for everyday Christians who are living in the second cup. We don't want to live in the second cup anymore because there's more. If you want more, this is part of that process. Amen? So how do you find freedom? The cup of deliverance basically is this. First of all, you can't have condemnation. If you live in condemnation, you won't move forward. Condemnation always makes you look back. Conviction makes you look forward. The Bible talks about this, that worldly sorrow leads to regret, but conviction leads to repentance or change, okay? So the Bible says there's no condemnation, no condemnation. So if you're stuck in shame and guilt and blame, you got you to gotta stop it. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what we need to do to connect more, and we do pretty good, but we need a lot more of it, is we got to be real. We got to be real. A lot of times people just, we, we say we all got issues, we all got issues, blah, blah. That's our new thing now, we all got issues. But none of us are being honest about our issues. I used to challenge my leadership, you know, in my eldership. One of the things that I love about my eldership right now currently, uh, it, I'm so proud of, it sounds weird, but is their, is their humility. They don't act like they got it all together. They're very humble. They don't toot their own horns. You know what I mean? They're first to offer. Uh, I was telling them, I'm learning from you about humility, my, my own eldership. Humility is key because, because it says we're, 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 we are natural beings, you know, following and serving and submitted to a supernatural God. And so he just takes his super and adds it to my natural and it makes me a better person. But it's not me. I can't do it by myself. Does that make sense? And so we got to be real. My friend wrote a book, uh, Rick Bazette. It's called Be Real. And the, the bottom, it says, because fake is exhausting. Yeah. 
So you don't realize you're wearing yourself out. You're on the treadmill, the gerbil Christianity. You know, how are you doing? You're working on, you're still working on my problems. You getting anywhere? No, because it's going to go on like that for a long, long time. So we got to be real. The second thing is we got to focus on what we're thinking about. Is everybody still loving this? Okay, Romans 8, it says, those who, look in your notes, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. So the problem is what we're thinking about. The question is, what can we do to influence what we're thinking about? Then it goes on to say, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So again, here's this war between these two things. The reason I'm struggling is because I keep thinking about this stuff, thinking about, I don't want to smoke anymore. I got to stop smoking. I got to quit smoking. I'm planning on quitting smoking. Tomorrow, I'm going to quit smoking. What are you thinking about all the time? smoking. So it's really hard not to sin when that's all you're thinking about. But then there's another part of here like, I love God. I love Jesus. I love his word. It's awesome. It's changed my life. And so those two things are a war, right? So what's going to influence our thinking so that one leads the other is your associations or your relationships. The single greatest key to what's really going on is obviously to overcome condemnation, but associations will change your life. This is the other side of the series that we did under the influence. Yes, there sometimes are demonic or spiritual influences that oppose you. I'm not minimizing that. Of course, I'm not. Six weeks on that. But I want to talk to you about deliverance is partially, is, is partially that, but it's also discipleship. This discipleship part comes in the context and safety of relationships, of community, of strong and healthy associations. Write this down. It's not in your notes. But basically, um, discipleship is relationship plus intentionality. Dis- being a disciple is when you are in relationships with a purpose, agenda, or an intentionality to it. You can't just be in a relationship and expect to grow. Lots of people are in relationships, and they ain't growing. Because most relationships where there's no growth, you just fell into them. You just, like an acceptance magnet, just followed the one that gave you the, like the course of least resistance. A lot of times, the growth comes not from following like water, the course of least resistance. It requires you to be very purposeful and very intentional, and you have to pursue the right people to get the right results. Does anybody get what I'm saying out there? Like, this is a big deal. And so, and you got to be real, too. So Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his sin, me and Jesus, all by ourselves, that is bogus doctrine. People that say, I don't need church, and I don't need people, and I can still grow and be healthy, is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It says, he does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces, without condemnation, hopefully, an environment of that, they find mercy. They find mercy. So... We grow, yes, by confessing our sins and getting it out right. No, we don't really grow by that, actually. We get forgiven by that. We get forgiven by that. So God forgives. That's where you get forgiven. But where do you get healed? Grow, change in relationships. James 5.16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So people heal you. No, people hurt me. I understand that. I understand a lot of people hurt you. I get it, but you, ha- you probably fell into those relationships. You probably didn't pursue all of those or the right ones. You probably didn't do your due diligence. You probably didn't make sure they were all followers of God first before you followed them. This is better preaching than what I'm getting amens for out there, but it's still, it's okay. People can help you a lot. You need a board of directors for your life. We have board of directors for our businesses. We have overseers for, you know, different thing, organizations and things like that. But very few people have a circle of people that they trust with their whole life. I realized this kind of late in life, to be honest with you. 
Because this is what happens. Strong people try to go a long time on their own strength. And then they hit a wall, and there's nothing there to fall back onto. Like Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a big fall. And all the king's horses and all of them couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You know what I'm saying? Because it just, you got so big and your head got so big and you got up on a wall and then you fell over and you crashed and you burned. We need a board of directors. And so I, I had to pursue those. Some of those are in this church. There's some people I can call up. You know, Deej is somebody that can open up to and be completely transparent. Some of my elders, I'm growing in those relationships. I know Brian Barnes. I've been able to bleh with him all the time. You know, and there's people outside this church. Some of them live far away. And I make effort and pursue that so that you stay healthy because I want to not live in the second cup. I want to live in the third and the fourth cup. Amen? And that's what you need. You need that in your life. So I want to get practical. I want to help you with your associations. And can I shepherd you just for a few more minutes? Amen. So you may be here and you're like, whew, this is really hardcore and, you know, hit me between the eyes. It's just because I want to see you grow. That's what God wants. Amen. And I'm just your true guide. That's all I am. Just trying to help you see the process. If anything of, of this identifies with you, then you're, 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 in this, you're probably in the second cup or you're a candidate for what needs to happen to get out of the second cup. And so to change your associations, number one, you, you, need to, you do that through water baptism. Water baptism. And some people think, like, why do I have to do this, PD? You know, is, it this, is this how I get saved? No, it's, not, it's nothing about salvation. But, but water baptism is like my ring on my finger. This, this is not, I didn't, I asked Stacy to marry. Stacy said yes. We, had a, we, we consummated, we, thank Jesus, we had a <laughs> ceremony is what I meant to say. <laughs> what do you think about? It's what you think about. <laughs> How much longer before this is over? <laughs> okay, so, but this signifies the covenant between me and my wife. The covenant is in our hearts. The covenant is something we said before God and before man. But this, this, is, the, this, is, the sig- this is the symbol to everybody that I belong to Stacy. Baptism is the wedding band of Christianity. It says to whom you belong. So you might have made a personal and private decision, and that's okay. And you and him are good. But there's a time where you come out, and what was an inward decision becomes a public declaration. And it will help you grow. So if you want to stay in the first cup, if you, excuse me, the second cup, then knock yourself out, but you'll continue to struggle. But if you want to grow and come out of that, you have to change your associations. And one of those things is to be water baptized and declare to whom you belong. This is, this is, this is where you say, I don't, I don't want to live for me anymore. This is where I'm saying I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm declaring my association publicly. The Bible talks about this a ton. Number two, church membership. It doesn't have to be, by the way, this church, in case you think that right away. I can recommend others to you. All right? None of them quite as good as this one. But anyway, uh, oh, delete that. Delete that. Take that off, you know. At least not in the state. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But there are actually over 30 verses in the New Testament that you cannot fulfill, live, or practice if you're not a part of a body, a fellowship, a family. That's what the Bible uses this talk all the time. You're kind of like a, a vine, a branch without connection. God doesn't, you can't survive like that. You need a family. And there are people in this room, in fact, it, before, listen to me all the way through, and then once you've heard what I have to say, I want you to stand up to acknowledge this. If you're in this church and you would say that Sometimes your spiritual family, this local church, has outperformed your biological and, and uh, uh, generational family. Would you stand your feet if you know that sometimes this church has done that for you? Would you stand up? Yeah. I just want you to see how important spiritual family is to these people that are in this room. Is that awesome? 
Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for that. Isn't that great? Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. We need an immediate family. Many of you are part of the family of God. I get that. I get that. We'll all be in heaven together, all the different Christians from all over the world. That's great. But for you to grow, you need an immediate family, a place where you have trust, where you have safety. This is where you put your time, your talent, your treasure. There's, there's give and there's get. There's give and there's receive. You need that to be healthy, to, be grow, to grow. This is part of that second cup for you. And, and, and you know what? You need to do that till the day you die. Nobody retires in the faith. So anyway, let that one just sit for a few seconds. <laughs> the number one predictor of church satisfaction, according to a recent poll, is that you have, is how many friends you have at church. So here's the, here's the third one, small groups. This is small groups. This is a new association that many of you don't have. 62% of our adult members are in a small group. That's way above norm, but it is not good enough. There are many people who are vulnerable and susceptible because they are not connected in healthy relationships. And so the big church is important. You need to be a part of a big church, but you need to be a little church, Some, where you're spending time with each other on a weekly basis. My small group, my wife and I, we have, we're busy. They're busy. Everybody's busy. I get it. But when you do something that matters, like come together and have fellowship, this isn't about information. It's about interaction. And so it's, it's, it takes it to a whole new level. You don't just get it from me, you get insight. You grow as you participate and share your life with somebody else. The California Re Relational Institute, listen to this statistic as I wrap things up. It says, if you're relationally disconnected, this is a motivator for you. So you don't want to hear the Bible? Let me give you a statistic. Two to three more times more likely to die in early death if you're relationally disconnected. You are four times more likely to suffer from an emotional burnout. You are five times more likely to suffer from clinical depression, and you are ten times more likely to be hospitalized for some type of mental disorder. We need to be connected. And this isn't about you giving. This is about you receiving sometimes, but also give. So there's both sides. On the second cup, it's about growing and receiving. The third and fourth cup about learning how to give back and change the world in which you live. Do you have a place for that? We need each other so that we don't get off track and we don't get offline. And it requires sacrifice, intentionality. It takes work, margin, scheduling that. Some of you are doing life alone and you're hurting. I get it. I can't pastor all of you. You need to be pastored in groups with people. Okay, you can stand up. Let's pray. I would love the prayer team to come down front if you wouldn't mind. Quickly and quietly. And if you could all just be very still, no moving around just for a minute. Because some people, God's speaking too strongly. The prayer team that's coming today, they're here to encourage you. And I want to say something about prayer. Sometimes you have to do something different in order to get a different result. And so if you've got a place to go after this, by all means, go. No problem, no condemnation in this church. But some of you to take kind of that next step, I know it can seem scary. We love people. We're not going to do anything scary. We just want to help you. And prayer, prayer makes a difference. Sometimes you need just to talk to somebody and say it out loud. Sometimes you want to see a change, you have to declare it. If you want it to have life, you have to say it out loud. That's why when you got saved, you don't just believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. So if you want to see some kind of change in your life, I, I want to get water baptized, but I'm scared. Just say it and let somebody pray with you about it. I, I'm struggling with relationships. I've been burnt blah, 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 by other churches. Just say it and get prayer. I'm struggling in you know, finding friends. Just say it and get prayer. 
It's, uh, that's what God wants. And so I, I'm just going to pray that you get the courage to establish new associations and that you go downstairs today and you find out about water baptism at Guest Central. Many people last service went down and they signed up for water baptism. That's your, that may be your next step. Maybe you need to plant and plug in and decide to get all in. Like, no more. Like, I'm talking, I'm going to not joke around, but like every Sunday. Like, you want to see, I'm like, uh, uh, my family's not perfect, but like, it's settled. Like, we are church people. We are with our spiritual family. When we, when we go away, we find a church to go to. There's like two Sundays a year we miss church. But we still have our own time with, you know what I'm saying, with God. So just get all in. It will change your life, I promise. If you're in the right place, and if you're not, it will help you find one. But then I think it's important to find people where you can take off the mask Come out from behind the fig leaf, whatever word you want to use, and be real. That doesn't happen overnight. You don't go into a small group. That's the starting point of real relationships, not the end point. You might have to go to three groups before you find your posse and your people. You might find one, and you just make a couple of connections, and their heart connections with somebody, and it change the, it'll change your life. But you got to step out. So I'm encouraging you to step out and receive prayer for that. Would you close your eyes and let me pray for you? Lord, before people come to receive prayer in these three areas, I just want to pray for the one that might be here that, honestly, that's just that's scary for them to do that. And they're, they're still in that first step in the journey. And maybe because of the conditions of the, the worship experience, maybe they're here last week and they just couldn't make that decision, but maybe they're here this week and they can. I don't know. I don't know. But something about that resonates. They, they have questions, but there's one thing they know. Today, they're ready to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Whether you're listening online and that's you, God may be speaking to you there as well. But if you're here today and you know that God is speaking to you and you would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if that's you, would you raise your hand and just say, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ today. God bless you at the back. God bless you, sir. Is there anybody else? Good night so I don't miss you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? And those of you that raised your hand, pray this prayer. And then I want you to come down. I want you to tell somebody the decision you just made. Don't leave without telling somebody. You want it to stick? Give it away. Say, Jesus. Everybody say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me a new person. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. Change my associations with you and with others. Give me the courage to walk this journey in faith. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah.